Do you please turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16? Matthew chapter 16. I, I want to condense time just a little bit to really focus on the Word of God. But I opened the early service, the 930 service. Which, are there any country and Western music fans in the house? You, you, you like country and Western? I, I, I don't necessarily, I'm not a country and Western guy, but after some of these weird country and Western song titles, I'm just a little bit of a fan now. Let me just read a couple of them. I think you'll, you'll like that. Again, let me see country and Western fans. Let me see your, your hands up. I, uh, okay. Here's just a couple of, and these are literal actual uh, song titles. Um, How can I miss you if you won't go away? I mean, that's horrible. Here, here I, I like this one. Uh, any papas in the house? Let me just see. Any papas? I'm a papa. It's my favorite title I wear. Papa, well, you're, you're going to like this one. Maybe duck a little bit. Mama, get a hammer. There's a fly on papa's head. I tell you, I'm I'm becoming a country and western fan as I'm reading these, and this is my favorite. You're the reason our kids are so ugly. That is horrible. That is just horrible. And there's like five more, and be grateful that you were not a part of the first service. I want to talk to you today about something very, very important. Uh, I believe that the two most important questions that you'll ever be asked is, um, who is Jesus to you? And then secondly, what are you doing with your life? And I want to take just a senior pastor moment, and I really felt led of the Holy Spirit to put together a message talking about the importance of God's why. Because how many recognize our how and our what, our methods change? But God's why will never change. Our message must never change. So I want to talk to you about the importance of knowing and understanding and living in God's why. And I am literally going to preach this sermon on all of our campuses. We have nine Sunday morning services across all of our campuses, but I'm going to preach this sermon on every single campus during the month of July to make sure that we understand God's why. Because you know what one of the greatest enemies regarding growth that a person or a church can have is success. That might surprise you. Because when someone is successful, uh, they might have a tendency to kind of throw their shoulders back and look up and say, hey, look at what I've done or look at what I built. And the same can be said about pastors. Pastors who are successful are very, very vulnerable to success. So I want to keep before us that the only reason why God is blessing our lives, God is blessing Christian Faith Center, is because of him. I don't want to take any credit for this because if it were my way, listen, there'd be nobody here. But aren't you grateful that God's ways are bigger, they're higher than our ways? Can you say amen? And so this is not about us. It's, it's about him. So I, I want to talk to you about the importance of God's why. Number one, two points. Would you write this down? Knowing our why is important because God loves people. I want to keep that before us because God loves people people. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 16, 
Beginning in verse 13, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Listen closely. Here's a principle regarding that. It was important to the Lord for him to know what's being said of him out in the village, from the prison to the palace, the highways, the byways. And it's important for leadership to know what are people out in the street? What are people out at Starbucks or, or Arby's or Taco Bell? What are they saying about the Lord? What are they saying about the church? What are they saying about the leadership? I don't know about you, but I want to make sure that what's said of me when I'm talking about my friends, my family, I'm not tearing anybody down. I'm not tearing anything. I'm building up in Jesus' name. If that's you, can you say a good amen? But he said, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? But he gets very, very personable. And he says um, in verse 15, and he said to them, but who do you say that I am? You know, I, I believe that the Lord has no grandchildren, just sons and daughters. I shared earlier a little bit about my Nana. She was a praying woman, Southern Baptist. She was a treasure. She was a junior high teacher. She was over the potlucks after service. How many know us, Assembly of God people? We can learn a lot about potlucks from our Southern Baptist brothers and sisters. Can you say good Amen. But uh, she was faithful, and she prayed for me every day of her, of her life. She literally it was my Nana's prayers that prayed me out of horrible stuff, out of that miry clay, out of the pit that God found me in. And it was the Lord through her prayers that placed my feet on the rock Christ Jesus, and I'm different today because of the prayers that my Nana prayed yesterday. But listen, I understand my Nana is face-to-face with the Lord today, but it's not good enough. The Lord wants me to accept him as Savior. He wants you to accept him as Savior. So so I'm asking you, number one, the most important question you'll ever be asked, who is Jesus to you? Who do you say that I am? The Lord speaking. Who do you say? He's not just a teacher. He's not just a prophet. He is the sinner's Savior. He is the Redeemer. He is the Son of God. He is the one that breaks chains of addiction. Come on, can you scream a good amen? He is the Lord of Lords. Can you say amen? So the first question, and by the way, might I add, your answer to that question will determine where you spend eternity. I I saw a couple weeks ago um, on social media, and if it's on social media, it's probably correct, right? Um, But I'm hoping it's wrong, but I saw that there are two megachurch pastors, I'm not going to tell you their name or where they're at, But they came out publicly and said, we no longer believe that there is a literal hell. How many recognize, I don't care who's standing behind a pulpit, if they are preaching and it is not in the Word of God, it is not truth, and you are not to follow that. Can you say amen? We still need today, I am convinced, we need preachers filled with compassion that still preach. Hell's still hot. Heaven's still real. Sin's still wrong. And the Bible is still the word of Almighty God. If you believe that, let's put our hands together. God is God. And if people are preaching that what God said is wrong is now right, that is not Scripture. God will never rewrite his Bible. Can you say amen? So so who's Jesus? If he were to stand before you, who do you say that I am? That's why we exist. 
God's why is, is always associated because he loves people. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. Listen, uh, our, we exist, our, our purpose statement, if you will, as a church, we exist to love people to life. And our promise is this, we will not beat you up. We will love you in. God has created an atmosphere. It doesn't matter what you did last night, last week. Just come to Jesus. You can come to Jesus wasted. You can come to Jesus on drugs. How many know he is so powerful, he can sever that chain? I have seen him sober up people in the altar as they're accepting Christ. Come on, am I preaching the right church? Can we put our hands together and say, thank you, Lord? I remember one guy. Then he came to the altar. I gave an altar call, and he ran to the altar, and he was just, he ran like a snake walks the altar, and he was so drunk. Man, I'm praying for him. I felt like I got a little buzz. I don't know, but, but I led him to the Lord, and it was absolutely astounding. I saw the Lord, the Holy Spirit, sober him up. He ran to this altar messed up, drunk, and he left a brand-new creation. Aren't you grateful? It doesn't matter what you did last night. God loves you. So we exist to love people to life. I like to say we just love the hell out of people. It may be heaven in. <laughs> but listen, I want to keep before us as a movement because I, I'll take a vulnerable moment. God has been very good to us. Pastor Bueller, um, the great sage, he has shared with our staff, our team, that in all of his lifetime, he has never seen a church that would experience such a move of God for now over 12 years. We are a part of something very, very special, aren't we? We're part of a church that's seeing people born again. Every single time the gospel is preached, people are responding and getting born again, born out of addiction and born into the family of Almighty God. Aren't you grateful that we've been adopted into the family of God? Can you say amen? So listen, you may disagree with my head, but not my heart. You may disagree with how I do things, but not why I do things. You may disagree with my methods, but not my motivation. Why? Because God's why is always tied to leading people out of sin and into new life. Somebody say a good amen. God's why is always tied to leading people out of darkness and into his marvelous light. God's why is always tied to leading people out of spiritual death and into spiritual life. Can you say amen? God's why is he loves people. It's amazing to think of the death of the, the Redeemer, Jesus on a cross redeeming. Does it blow you away that he would rather die than live without you? I mean, there's some people in your life, they don't like you. Yeah, they, they talk about you. But here's Jesus he thinks you're to die for. Can we just give the Lord a hand? Come on, can we just put our hands together and say, Lord, thank you for your love. Thank you for your love. And next, I want to keep before us number two, knowing God's why is important because God's why includes you. In, in Matthew chapter 18, uh, we have the Great Commission. And it's very important to me as a senior pastor that we keep the Great Commission before us because I believe that churches are filled with people they have no idea. When they say, you know, Great Commission, what is that? Well, that must get be what my real estate agent gets when he or she sells my home. I mean, recognize that's a big commission, but that's not the Great Commission. The Great Commission deals with eternity. And Jesus said, go. I can sum up the gospel with two words. Come, go. 
He says, he says, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And he says, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. With so many people getting dipped into drugs, aren't you a part, glad you're a part of a church that today people are going to be dipped into a lake, into the Feather River in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Can you say a good amen? So the Great Commission, I want to keep it before us. So I want to land this plane today by talking about Moses. I want to talk to you a little bit about Mo. Would you go in your Bible to Exodus chapter 4? Exodus chapter 4. And I want to read a very pro- about a very profound conversation between the Lord and Moses through a burning bush. In verse 1, Exodus Chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Again, knowing God's why is important because it involves us. The Bible said, Then Moses answered and said, But suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, The Lord has not appeared to you. So the Lord said to him, verse 2, What is that in your hand? What is that in your hand? And Moses says, Well, it's a, it's a rod. It's, it's a staff. And he said, cast it on the ground. Can I take just a pause for a moment? Is there anyone like me in here like me that you have a phobia about snakes? I hate snakes. Man, when I, I see him face to face, Lord, the ark, why, why, talk to me about the mosquitoes and the snakes. I just don't. I'm scared to death of snakes. So it's interesting. Moses, what's that in your hand? Well, it's a rod. It's a staff. And he said, I want you to cast it to the ground. And listen, the Bible goes on to say, and it became a serpent. Listen closely. Something in his head that was a rod, it was a staff, it was a piece of glorified wood, if you will. When he cast it down, it became a living thing. Too many people, they go through life like this, what God has placed in their hand. They refuse to cast it down and give it to the Lord. But when will we know? It's only when we give to the Lord what he has placed in our hand. It becomes a living thing. As you place in the hands of the Lord, he's here and he's willing to get your dead marriage up out of the dust, to get your dead life up out of the dust and give you a new start, but you got to give it to him. So he said, Mo, what's in your hand? And he, he said, it's a, it's a rod. Let me talk just a little bit about this. Um, the rod in Moses' hand represented three arenas. Number one, it represented, if you're taking notes, write this down, very important. It represented his identity. He was a shepherd. And the staff is so powerful in the life of a shepherd, it represented who he was. I'll never forget, I was preaching in my very first church 100 years ago in Parker, Arizona, one square mile surrounded by Indian reservation. We just saw a move of God. We were there three years, and we baptized 800 people in the Colorado River, built a new building, filled. It was just amazing. But I was a a brand-new senior pastor. I'd been a youth pastor. Pastor, I see the Sullivans, boy, our, our network. Uh, youth directors, CE directors, would you guys just shoot up a hand, Josiah? Would you give them a great big hand? They work tirelessly for us. God bless you. But I'd been a youth pastor for three years. I'm a senior pastor for a few months, and I didn't have anything. I had a human video and a couple of corny jokes, and I just read the Bible scriptures, and people got saved, and it was amazing. But after the sermon, I was preaching about identity, 
And I kid you not, an 85-year-old man walked up to me in the altar. And he said, Pastor, I need you to lay your hand on my heart and tell me who I am. I'm 85 years, and he's crying. I'm 85 years old. And I listen, I've never had an authority figure put their hand on my head, put their hand on my heart, and tell me that I love you, to tell me that I'm proud of you. I've never heard that all the days of my life. Pastor, please lay your hand on my heart and tell me who I am. And I'm going, dear Jesus, I need you right now. I'm not even sure who I am. But I laid my hand and just began speaking life over that 85-year-old man as tears are streaming down his face. you got to know who you are. And that's why I love the Sullivans. That's why I love, I love our youth pastors. Would you stand up real quick? Our young adult pastors, you know, I don't want our children. I don't want our teenagers finding their identity on the street corner. I want them finding and discovering who they are through anointed, crazy, amazing leaders who are filled with the Spirit of God, love the Word, and preach the truth in grace. Can you say a good amen? Let me talk just a little bit about who you are. The devil, just in case maybe there's somebody here like that 85-year-old man, I don't know who I am. Listen, the enemy will lie. and He'll say you get your identity from what you've done. But God's truth is you get your identity from what God has done. The devil will say you get your identity from what people say about you. But God's truth is this. You get your identity regarding what God says about you. And according to the word of God, you are not a loser. You are a winner. You are a child of God. You are royalty. You are his son. You are his daughter. Come on, put your hands together. He's talking about you. He's marking somebody today. You're not insignificant. You are great because God is great, and he lives in you. Listen closely. Um, Knowing whose you are, knowing whose you are, will help you discover your why. All of you have unique gifts and callings. I can do a couple of things fairly well and a whole bunch of things horribly. For instance, um, you don't want me to come over to your house and work on the brakes on your car, unless you have a really big life insurance policy, and you split it with me. Um, I just, I'm not, I'm mechanically declined. Anyone else? I mean, I literally went to the store one day and asked for a, a metric crescent wrench. And they laughed at me, and I just left. Um, computers. You don't want me working on your computer because you'll buy another one. But there's a couple of things that I can do fairly well. Can I tell you, God has placed something in your hand. It's a gift. It's a calling. God has blessed you. Your blessing, that overflowing blessing, is somebody else's necessity. I have learned when you surrender what God has placed in your hand, God will take it, God will anoint it, and it will become more than enough. Can somebody say amen? Finally, the staff represented his income. All of his assets were tied up in his sheep. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 23 says, Be diligent to know the state of your flocks and attend to your herds. Everything that we have in our hand belongs to the Lord. I talked just a little bit about that. But how often do I say, hey, well, why don't you just come over to my house? Or why don't you come? We'll take my truck and we'll drive to the trails. We'll take Kelly's car. How many recognize that is not biblical? According to the word of God, he is the owner 
We are the steward. And one day we will stand before the Lord and give account of how we stewarded what he has placed in our hands. I don't know about you. I think we need to open all of our homes up to love our neighbors into the kingdom of God. I believe we need to turn our trucks and our cars into ambulance and get spiritually sick people to the house of God that they might hear about Jesus and be encompassed by people who are just like them. They're just a little further down the road. They were messed up, but God stepped in. They ain't messed up anymore. They're saints of God on fire for the Lord. So why don't we use the things that God has placed in our hand for his glory because they don't belong to us. They belong to him. Somebody say amen. Finally, finally, regarding the staff, it represented his influence. If I could sum up leadership with one word, it would be influence. Um, it's moving people from here to there, or sheep, if you will, from here to there, even when they don't understand everything. I tell all first-time pastors, I tell them, don't you dare start preaching vision because before people will buy into a vision, they must first buy into the pastor. And when they buy into the pastor, then you can hear from God and preach vision and the people will follow. How many have ever heard of a guy by the name of Henry Ford? Leadership. Leadership is not always fun. It's not always pleasant. Uh, true leaders lead with courage and with grace and with mercy and with servanthood. And, and here's a quote. Um, Henry Ford, and I quote, if I would have given the people what they were asking for, I would have created faster horses. How many are grateful you didn't ride a horse to church today? You drove a car. Come on. But the people then, but, but leadership stepped in and said, you know what? This is going to sound crazy to you, and we are a part of a church that is outside of the box. There have been times that I've looked into you into the eyes, those of you watching around the world live stream, and said, I know this is sounding crazy to you, but I believe God wants to plant a CFC campus 575 miles away in my hometown of Oroville, California. You just bought in and said, let's go. And today, they baptize people in the Feather River. Can you say a good amen? I remember when I said, hey, sounds crazy, I know, but I believe God wants us to plant a campus in Caldwell, Idaho. And you guys just said, okay, let's do it. And then God prompted one of our businessmen in our church, and he said, hey, you found a building, I'll write a check for $540,000, let's buy it, and we owe that building debt free in Jesus' name. And today at the park, just at 2 o'clock, Pastor Eric, our campus pastor, is baptizing five people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that got saved on our Caldwell campus. Well, what about the Gloria Dios, our Latino campuses? What about in November? We're going into Boise, Idaho. We're sending our lead pastors, Pastor Jordan and Amanda. We're going to send, it's looking like it's going to be closer to about 150 people. And we're going to take over a city for the glory of God. I know it sounds crazy, but sometimes God is in the crazy. So let me, let me try to, to land this with the time I have. Legacy, excuse me, influence is leading people to where God desires them to be. Influence is giving your life away just like Jesus gave his life away. Influence is living a, a life worthy to be followed. The Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, he says, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Influence outlives you. Influence is pouring into the next generation. It's no accident that the Sullivans are here. How many recognize this up-and-coming generation? They don't quite look or sound or dress just like my generation. 
just like I don't quite look, sound, and dress like the previous generation. But can I tell you about this up-and-coming generation? They're every bit as hungry as I am. They're every bit as holy as I am. They're every bit as, as, as wanting God to, to shake the world through their lives. This new and upcoming generation, they despise fraud and fake. If you are not real in your walk with God, they will spot you a hundred miles away. But if you can be true in your faith and you can pour into the up-and-coming generation, they will take the gospel further than my generation ever did. I believe that passionately. Even though they have skinny jeans and holes in their jeans and sometimes they wear a weird-looking hat. You know, it's not about the outward. It's about the inward. Somebody say a good amen. Let me, let, me, let me try to land this. I want to get personal. God asked him in verse 2, so the Lord said to him, Moses, what is that in your hand? I want to ask you, most important question is, who is Jesus to you? Secondly, what's in your hand? What's in your hand? You know, uh, God uses people powerfully when they surrender what's in their hand. There is an anointing that will come upon your life as you surrender what's in your hand. It might look small. It might look insignificant. It might look just like a stick. But in Jesus' name, when he surrendered it to the Lord, listen to what verse 17 says in the same chapter. And you shall take this rod. What was in Moses' hand? You shall take this rod in your hand with which you shall do these signs. Can I tell you that Samson had a donkey jawbone to slay a thousand men. Ruth had grain gleaned from the field in her hand. David had his sling and five smooth stone and defeated and killed that big old hairy ugly Goliath. The unnamed boy had five fish and two small, five barley loaves and two small fish, just a tuna fish sandwich that fed Many believe up to 20,000 people. The woman having an alabaster jar filled with oil to anoint the feet of the Lord. What, what, what's in your hand today? What's in your hand today? Are you going through life like this? Listen closely. Too many people. Look at my bank account. Look at my house. Look at my car. Look at my things. And there's nothing wrong with any of that. But the people who are blessed say, God's been good to me. I didn't deserve this job. I didn't deserve that raise. I, it's just the, do you recognize the favor of the Lord is not fair? He lavishes his favor on his people that will go through life like this. And I don't know about you, but I'm grateful that 2,000 years ago, the Lord didn't go through life with clenched fists and fight the nails. No, I believe that with an open hand, the Lord said, drive the nails here. Drive them deep. Don't kill Monty, kill me. The Redeemer redeeming. I'm just trying to tell you purpose, contentment is found if you will go through life with an open hand. Can you say amen? We're going to watch a short video right now that will really touch your hearts.
whose heart is beating in your chest? Is it yours or is it his? I saw that video and I thought, dear Lord, it's just like God. He sent forth his son who died. Throughout the New Testament, it talks about Christ in me. If that's your heart that's beating, I'm going to ask you with every fiber of DNA in my body, surrender your heart to the Lord and allow the heart of God to beat in your chest. Now you know why I make it. I get criticized because of the size of our church. I get criticized because, you know, there's still cigarette butts out in the parking lot. There's beer bottles. There's people dropping the F-bomb out in the foyer. I say, God, send them to Christian Faith Center. I don't want my heart because my heart is desperately wicked according to Scripture. But God's heart, if that will beat in our chest, don't you see so many people, their lives changed? And as I was watching that, a lot of you responded to the Lord during a, just an altar call I made before I even started preaching. The Lord wants you to take the next step and get baptized tonight. To get baptized tonight out there at Lake Lowell, you can get on our Facebook page, get directions. Well, Pastor, I, I got baptized four years ago, ten years ago. Listen, if you have been straying and you came back today, you need to follow that with baptism. The final words, my prayer. So God's heart would beat in our chest. The things that hurt his heart would hurt ours. The things that break his heart would break ours. His heart that beats for the lost would beat here. I wonder what would happen. God spoke to me many, 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 many years ago that the harvest, we all pray for the harvest. The harvest is not multitude of people. The harvest is one. I wonder what would happen if the heart of God would beat in our chest so strong that every single one of us would invite 10 people a week to church. 10 people. Every single one of us could do that. Please come to church with me. That's full of hypocrites. They just say after my money. No, a church is not like that. Please come. Don't you know the gospel? Come, receive Christ, and go. Would you stand to your feet? But there, believe there are a lot of you that you have a business in your hand. You've got a relationship in your hand. You've got something in your hand. Today, the Lord wants you to release it to Him. And even to those of you who think it's somewhat successful, when you fully release it to Him, boy, the anointing of the Holy Spirit will touch that. <laughs> Dead things will come to life. 20,000 people will be fed by a tuna fish sandwich. I'm telling you, our God is real. And every good and perfect gift comes from Him. Let me, let me leave you with this. I just, David Tinney, this is the second time I've mentioned your name. David, would you slip up a hand? Big old handsome guy. We have the same haircut. He's the one that shared, you know, we heard we, served, oh, we sold our five-acre piece of property in Caldwell. 
We now are, are, have $221,000 of debt off our ledger and saved about $2,000 a month. Can we just say thank you, Lord? That's why I let you know that. Um, but David just said, you know, Pastor, it's not about dirt. It's not about buildings. It's about reaching the lost. And I said, oh, yes, sir, you get it. And I told him, I said, David, according to Scripture, this is just a building. We are the church. Do you know we got a church that goes to gun shows? David takes Jesus and has services at gun shows. I kind of know to be bummed out or happy, but sometimes his sermons are better than mine. Let's be the church.